Thank you, choir and Steve. And he whispered to me before that and said, uh, I'm running about a minute and a half late. I said, oh, I'll make it work. But the truth is, Tripp and I are very sensitive to time, so I appreciate uh, you doing that. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was constantly criticized and attacked by the religionists. There were two basic groups of religionists at that time, just as there are today. First of all, there were the legalists, and the legalists were represented by the Pharisees. They criticized Jesus because he did not keep the law as they understood the law, that he healed on the Sabbath, that he he didn't properly keep the feast and all those things. So because Jesus didn't cross all the T's and dot all the I's as they defined them, then they were critical of him. The other side were the liberals and they are represented by the Sadducees who did not feel bound at all by the law. In fact, the Sadducees said that if grace overcomes sin, the more we sin, the more grace there is. And so they concluded then that sin was acceptable because it brought in grace. Truth is, both of them were in error. The legalists were in error because they believed that one could earn favor with God. As I keep the law, as I keep the feast, as I do these things, then I become acceptable to God. I am pleasing to God. I earn favor with God. The liberals, on the other hand, really didn't believe in any of the fundamentals of the faith, and so they also were in error. There's a passage of Scripture in which both groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, came to Jesus and asked him a question. I want us to look at that today. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse number 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Now, the Sadducees, first of all, came to Jesus with a question in verse number 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him. Now, the question that they asked of Jesus was a reference to a statement made by Moses. Moses had said, if a man marries a woman and the man dies, then it is res the responsibility of the brother to marry the widow. The reason for that 
Well, so that the woman was not left alone, so that she would be provided for, so she would be protected. So they said, so Jesus, what if a man marries a woman and the man dies and the brother marries her and then he dies? And then the next brother marries her and then he dies. And the next brother marries her and then he dies. Going through seven brothers, whose wife will she be? in the resurrection. And of course, they didn't believe in the resurrection anyway. Jesus silenced them, it says in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. So they came to him with the question, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? But Jesus, in his response, silenced them. How did he do that? What did he say? In verse number 29... Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures. He said, you are not understanding things because you do not properly understand the scripture. Matthew Henry wrote, ignorance is the cause of error. Those that are in the dark miss their way. Jesus said, you are wrong because you don't understand the scripture. As I thought about that statement this week, ladies and gentlemen, there is an enormous amount of ignorance regarding scripture today. And that is the reason we reach so many of the conclusions that we reach. I am convinced that the perpetuation of abortion in our country is because of a misunderstanding of scripture or setting aside scripture. And as a result of that, millions of innocent babies have been aborted because we don't understand the sanctity of life, that God created life, that God created you. You are not the result of an evolutionary accident. God created you. Your life is sacred. But because we have set that aside, because we don't understand that, then we no longer value life as we should. Recently, there was the trial of Dr. Gosnell, and many people for the first time became aware of the atrocities of the abortion industry as a result of that trial. Ignorance has removed God from the public arena because we are ignorant of Scripture and God's place in our world. We have set him aside, for instance, from education. We have removed largely God from the education system He has been replaced with violence, and then we wring our hands and say, I wonder why there's so much violence in our school systems. We have removed God from the public arena as far as government is concerned. He has been replaced with corruption, and we ask the question, why are our politicians corrupt? God has been removed because of an ignorance of Scripture from many of our churches. And as a result of that, our churches are dying, and then there are some churches that are flourishing, but they are flourishing not with believers, but with people who simply want to be together and be entertained as a result of it. So what Jesus said to them is that you've misunderstood the Scripture. You ask a question that you ask because you misunderstand Scripture, and you don't understand the power of God. Again, in verse number 29, Jesus answered, you're mistaken, not understanding the Scripture or the power of God. Now, concerning the power of God, the question was, does God have the power to raise the dead back to life? Ancient question. Is there life after death? 
In Job chapter 14, verse 14, Job said, if a man dies, will he live again? It's a question that's been with us a long time. If a man dies, will he live again? Well, the Sadducees said no. And the atheists and many people today say the answer to that is no. So the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, the liberals, came to Jesus asking a question. Jesus silenced them. Then the Pharisees, representing the legalists, they came to Jesus with a different question in verse number 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believe in life after death, so they are asking a different question. Theirs was a question of theology. What's the great commandment? You see, the Jews believed there were 613 commands. 365 of them were negative. 248 of them were positive. And so the rabbis debated back and forth as to which was the heavy command, which were the light command, which were the most important. And that's what they were asking Jesus. What is the most important command? So it was a question of theology they were asking, and it was a question for the theologian. They were wanting to know where Jesus stood on that question. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, both groups, the liberals and the legalists, came to Jesus asking a question. The liberals, the Sadducees, came... They asked their question, and then the Pharisees followed with their question concerning theology. The thing I noticed about this is that Jesus did not condemn the question. There are a lot of people who get very uncomfortable when questions are asked. I don't think we need to. I think the Bible will stand up to the questions. In fact, when my children were younger, I, I've, I've said to them, I know you're going to hear a lot of things that are contrary to what I have taught you. The only thing I ask of you is that you discuss them with me. Questions don't bother. I don't know the answer to all the questions, but we ought to be able to ask questions. And so they came to Jesus asking a question, and he responded to the question. Now, in Mark's account of this story, he expanded it by dealing, first of all, with the oneness of God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus answered the foremost is. Now, he's answering the question here, same story. Jesus answered the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He began with the oneness of God. This morning in my devotion time, I was reading in Psalm 86 where David said, Thou alone art God. So, in Mark's account of this story, he begins with the oneness of God, that God is one. The reason for that is because they lived in a polytheistic society. There were many gods in this society. In fact, in Judges chapter 2, verse 13, it says, So they forsook the Lord, this is in the Old Testament, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. Now, Davis' Dictionary of the Bible refers or defines the Ashtaroth as originally perhaps the trunk of a tree with the branches chopped off and was regarded as the wooden symbol of a goddess Ashtaroth who, like Ashtaroth, was the type of a bounding fertility. So they worshipped many gods. There were many gods at that time. In the Old Testament, there were many gods. There was Baal, there was Ashtaroth, there was Ashtaroth. There were many gods at that time. Uh, you know, the truth is we also live in a polytheistic society. 
Our polytheism has been brought on through pluralism. How often do you hear people say, presenting their position as an enlightened position, that there are many religions, they're all good. I mean, they are all good. They are all to be respected. They are all to be honored. All religions are good. That's not true. That is simply not true. All religions are not equal and they are not all to be honored. And then when a Christian comes along and says, in my religion, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, then you're immediately attacked. You're bigoted. You're narrow-minded. You're an extremist for heaven's sake because we believe what the Bible says. So we also live in a polytheistic culture. People believe that there are many gods. So in Mark's account, he begins by speaking about the oneness of God, that God is one. God is one. And then Jesus addresses the question in verse number 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, he says, what is the heavy command? What is the great command? He said, you are to love God. Well, for the Pharisee, the great command was keeping the law. That you are to keep the traditions. You are to keep the law. That was the great command. You do that. With the humanness, the great command concerns man. That man is at the top. And so it is how you relate to man. Jesus said, the great command is to love God. To love God with all your heart. The heart is the seat of the uh, emotions. I'm to love him with all of my heart. Matthew Henry wrote, Our love of God must be a sincere love and not in word and tongue only. You know, that's one of the things I really want to love God. And I'm not always sure that my love is as sincere as it ought to be. I really want to love God. And I ask the Lord, help me to love you. Help me to really love you. Because it is to be sincere. It comes from the heart. And so Jesus said, what is the great command? It is to love God with all of your heart. And that involves integrity as well because he says, with all of your heart, not just a portion of it. We want to love God on Sundays, but then on Saturday we we have some other issues. We have some other interests. We love him with all of our heart. And then he says, and with all of your soul. And the soul is the essence of man. So if I love God then with all of my heart, then I am committed to him with all of my soul. If I love God with all of my heart, then I am committed with my very essence. And he said, with all of your mind. If I love God with all of my heart and I am committed with all of my soul, then I will use my mind to build up my faith in him, not to tear it down. Folks, there's there's nothing wrong with questions. But you should use your mind to build your faith. Not to tear it down, but to build your faith. Love him. He's what's the great command? Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And then verse number 39, he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
William Barclay wrote, It is only when we love God that man becomes lovable. Take away the love of God and we can become angry at man the unteachable. We can become pessimistic about man the unimprovable. The love of man is firmly grounded in the love of God. That's exactly what scripture says. In Romans chapter 13 verse 10, Paul wrote, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus said, what is the great command? What is the heavy command? Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the word love that is used is the word agape. And it speaks of an unconditional love. My love for you is to be an unconditional love. Not when you do such and such, not because you did such and such, but unconditional. I am to love you unconditionally. He says in verse number 39b, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we could talk about that for a while, I guess, but I think the best I can tell, it implies that we are to love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that is the implication. Matthew Henry wrote, there is a self-love which is corrupt and the root of the greatest sins and it must be put off and mortified. Now, I think that would be narcissism. And have you noticed, in fact, I read a study not long ago about how narcissistic we have become. I mean, we really seem to believe today that the world revolves around us and there is this ungodly, corrupt narcissism that we think is legitimate because we are supposed to love ourselves. So Henry continues, but there is a self-love which is natural and the rule of the greatest duty and it must be preserved and sanctified. So the implication is that you are supposed to love yourself. Not narcissism, but you are to love yourself because God created you. God loves you. If God loves you, then it stands to reason that, that you should love what God loves, that you should love yourself. And so the implication is that we are to love ourselves. The prescription is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That raised another question. Well, who's my neighbor? And in the Jews' definition of neighbor, it was very exclusive. Uh, they excluded the Gentiles. In fact, they wrote that the Gentiles were to be fuel for the fires of hell. So who is my neighbor? Well, it's not the Gentiles. It wasn't the Samaritans. In fact, whenever the Jew came to the area of Samaria, rather than walk through that unholy sod, they would go all the way around it, lengthening their trip just because they didn't want to walk on that unholy sod. So when you're talking about who is my neighbor, well, it, it isn't the Gentiles. It isn't the Samaritans. It sure isn't the publicans because the publicans were traitors to Israel and they were beyond salvation. So then who's my neighbor? Another Jew. Someone like me. Uh, we sort of fall into that too, don't we? Who am I supposed to love? Somebody like me. What if that person's not like you? Well, then you don't have to love them. See, that was the Jews' position. 
I'm not supposed to love the Gentile. I'm not supposed to love the publican. I'm not supposed to love the Samaritan. I'm supposed to love another Jew. And sometimes we fall victim to that as well. So Jesus said that love is the great commandment. Verse number 38, this is the great and foremost commandment. What's the great commandment, Jesus? It's to love. It's to love God and to love man. Why is that? Why would he say that that is the great commandment? Because it is complete in comprehension. You see, if you love God, you keep the first tablet of the Ten Commandments because they deal with your relationship to God. If you love your fellow man, then you keep the second tablet of the Ten Commandments because they deal with your relationship to each other. So why is love the great commandment? Because it's complete in comprehension. It is complete in in importance. In verse number 40, he said, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He says the law and the prophets are both contingent upon what? Love. You know that? If I love God, if I love man, the law and the prophets are contingent upon love. So questions are acceptable. Jesus answered the questions, but then he turned the tables. He asked a question of them. The Sadducees came with a question. The Pharisees came with a question. After Jesus answered their question, then he turned and asked them a question. Verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Jesus asked them, now who do you believe the Messiah is? And they said, well, the son of David. Matthew Henry wrote, if Christ was the son of David, he was really and truly man. If Jesus is the son of David, you stop right there, then you have to say that he is the son of man. So Jesus deals with the issue of deity at this point. Now he asked them an easy question in verse number 43. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. You see, the Jews believed that the Messiah would be the son of David. What did they believe about the Messiah for whom they were looking? What did they expect of the Messiah who was to come? Well, you'll see there in verse number 44, he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Okay, sit at my right hand meant that he was going to be a ruler. So when this Messiah comes, he is going to be a political ruler. That's what they were looking for. He continues in that same verse, until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. He would subdue the enemies of Israel. So the Messiah then that they were looking for was a Messiah who would be a political leader who would subdue the enemies of Israel. Now that was very common to them. It was an easy question. Jesus asked the question, they knew the answer, that was the answer because that was very familiar to them. Then he asked them a hard question. Verse number 45, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? If David calls him Lord, then how could he be his son? Matthew Henry wrote, if Christ be David's son, how then does David in spirit call him Lord? Barclay wrote, the commonest title of the Messiah was son of David. Behind it lay the expectation that there would one day come a great prince of the line of David 
who would shatter Israel's enemies and lead the people to the conquest of all nations. That was their understanding. Here's what Jesus is saying at this point. That is an inadequate understanding of the Messiah. He is more than the son of David. He is divine. Barclay wrote, he can have meant only one thing, that the true description of him is son of God. Son of David is not an adequate title. Messiahship is not to be thought of in terms of Davidic conquest, but in terms of divine and sacrificial love. So Jesus asked them a question. One was easy, they were familiar with it. One was hard. Then how does David call him Lord if he's his son? It was a question of deity. How did they respond? Well, the Bible says that uh, they were puzzled in verse number 46. No one was able to answer him a word. When Jesus asked that question, that was unfamiliar to them. They didn't respond to it. They were puzzled by it. It was because they did not know they were ignorant of the concept or it was because they would not accept it. It was one or the other. They didn't know. Uh, they would not accept this idea. They were silenced in verse number 46. It says, and uh, in, uh, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. They were puzzled by it, and they were silenced by it. Matthew Henry said, Christ as God was David's root. Christ as man was David's offspring. Interesting question to me. How do you respond to it? How do you respond to it? Who is Jesus? He, it, oh, maybe you intellectually conclude that he is the son of David. That, that he, is a, he is a man. He was a teacher, a wonderful teacher. He was a philosopher. He was a prophet. All of those things perhaps you have concluded. That. What I want you to understand is that conversion comes as a result of him being the son of God. It's the son of God. You see, Paul was a religious man, but he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and then he was converted. Nicodemus was a moral man, and he became convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, and he was converted. Who do you believe Jesus to be? To you. It's fine to ask the question. So I ask you, who do you believe Jesus to be? Is he the son of David to you? A man? And that's all? Or is he the son of God? Because it is only as accepting him as the son of God that there is salvation. Because there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Do you know him as the son of God? Our Father, thank you for the privilege of considering the questions and thank you for the truthfulness of your word to the answer. And I pray, Lord, that today there will be those who will consider the question and that they will conclude that Jesus is the Son of God. More than just the Son of David, he's the Son of God. And Lord, for those who have never come to know Christ, that today they would. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. My friend, if you're here and you say, you know, I'm, I'm committing my life to the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, and I commit my life to Him. 
then I want you to come see one of our staff members. They'll pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.